0: The intro I'm about to describe is more of a a grocery list of accomplishments rather than a spark notes. She's an 11-time national champion, three-time continental champion, two gold medals at two separate Pan Am Games, attended two Olympic Games. She has been recognized as the Citizen of the Year, the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal, an Athlete of the Year, She's got a burger named after her, which is the, one of the coolest things I've ever heard. A former number two in the world, newly retired, out into the world, accomplishing new features. Mandy Bjold, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Yep. Oh, oh, I'm wonderful. Thank you for uh, taking the time to, uh, to talk to us today. And I'm super excited to learn about you and the, and the boxing world and, and everything.
1: Absolutely. So, first off, how's the transition been for you coming back from Tokyo? Um, you just been taking time relaxing with the family?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, since I've been back, it just kind of feels like what every tournament feels like after. You just kind of take a few weeks to just relax, uh, recuperate. I've been spending lots of time at my cottage um, with my family, going on hikes, just at the beach um trying to enjoy the last bit of summer
1: sounds like you are living the the ideal <laughs> life right now yeah the dream <laughs> trying <laughs> uh and so you said that this was the end of your olympic career is this also the end of your international career or are you planning on on fighting a, a few more times than calling it before paris
2: um, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure right now. Um, I would say I'm, I know for sure I'm not doing another like Olympic cycle, even though it's a shorter cycle. Um, yeah, I've been boxing for, I guess it's been like 18 years now, um, over 180 fights. Um, I'm just kind of at the point where, you know, I need to start thinking about other things. Um, and yeah, just trying to explore other, other options and, you know, what's next for me after boxing
1: as a lifelong athlete, like how weird is that to think about life after sport and like starting to plan that?
2: Yeah. I mean, for me, I think, you know, I've actually, I've been quite smart with that throughout my entire um, boxing career. I've always had other things going on at the same time. Um, I like to be busy. I like to be involved in a lot of different things. I like to have my own little projects. Um, So yeah, now it'll be a little bit different in the sense that um you know i'm not going to be coming back to the sport whereas even let's say when i had time off um throughout my pregnancy i you know i eventually came back but um yeah so it's a bit of a transition i think it's something that some athletes fear but i think you have to kind of know when you're ready and and for me i do have that feeling it's like okay i'm okay with with stepping away and um you know i i had a great career and just leave it at that and and work on other things so
1: and I think the difficulty that a lot of athletes have that it doesn't seem like you're having is I, their, their careers just kind of end abruptly when it's like they can't qualify for something out of the blue or nobody wants to sign them anymore. But you've been sounds like you've been very preemptive in understanding um, that it's coming to an end and, and truly branching out and looking at the best route for you afterwards.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's always kind of been planned. I mean, even after 2016, I kind of played with the idea of, am I done now? Um, But you know, in my heart, I knew that there was still some fight left in me. Um, Now I'm kind of at that point where um i don't necessarily feel that anymore um and it could just be because i'm just completely exhausted from everything that happened leading up to the olympics and just how different things have been now with you know with the pandemic and just all the uncertainty it makes it a little bit harder to to train we haven't been able to compete in over 18 months like it's very different. So how much longer is this going to last? Do you really wait around to see what happens? Um, so it's, I think of a bit of a weird time for a lot of different athletes. Um, so for me, I think it's just a good opportunity to, um, you know, close the chapter in that part of my life and, and move on to, to other things.
1: And you mentioned the, the lead up to Tokyo, which we, we wanted to, to get into, um, obviously it was a very public lead up for you. Um, you're one of the very few athletes to take the IOC to court and come out with a, with a Fucking victory, victory. That's right. <laughs> um, so nice. so kind of what was, what was that whole journey like for you to go through?
2: Um, ooh, taxing, exhausting. Um, honestly, like, I think, I don't think I ever really understood what all went into, you know, going to court um, because I've never had to do it. Um, I have always like heard from people that it's stressful, but now I know firsthand, it's very stressful. Um, And especially when you're fighting for something that's so personal and means so much to you, um, you just, it's hard not to be emotionally invested in, you know, the result um, of what's going to happen or what's going to come of it. So, I mean, I was very fortunate. I had an amazing lawyer, um, Sylvie Rodriguez. She was absolutely incredible. You know, across Canada, she's um, one of the top litigators. She actually just won the award for top litigator. Um, It just happened to be a friend of mine. Um, So she honestly was amazing. She walked me through the entire process. We had about seven um, lawyers at one time that we're that we're working on this case is how big it was um and i think the ioc just kind of thought we were just someone small and we're just going to kind of go away if they use you know certain tactics and they kept trying to do that but i think what they didn't realize is that that sylvie and her team at tories they're used to using those tactics so they understood what they were trying to do Um, so even in the moments where i wanted to be like okay let's just let's just let it go like i don't even care anymore (laughs) Um, she was the one that was like, no, this is exactly what they want. You have to keep fighting. You have to keep pushing. So I think it really helped to have her there. And, you know, in my corner, um, it really made a big,
0: (laughs) I like that. I like that.
2: (laughs) It really made a big difference. Honestly, there was, there was just so much ups and downs. Um, you know, I'm obviously not going to get into all the detail. There was, there's a lot of confidentiality around it. Um, but, you know, the ruling itself obviously was was public, um, which was great because, again, that set a precedent moving forward for for women in in sport, um, you know, in the next generations to come, because we're seeing a lot more women coming back after pregnancies. And, you know, the rest of the ruling, which will be like, you know, 10 or 15 pages of why they came to that decision is actually supposed to be out in vote the next month. And that will be made public as well. So I think that'll be really helpful for, um, you know, other female athletes if they ever find themselves in a similar situation.
1: What, I, uh, like, how oh, would you describe ahead. the emotions when that decision came out and, and you knew that not only for yourself that you won, but like for so long women have been punished essentially for for starting families during their athletic career. But
2: yeah, I mean, to be honest it was it was a good moment. It was a moment of like I had, we had no idea, right? Like there's three people they're they're making the decision that basically could change the direction of your life. Um so the wait up until that moment was really hard. Um but you know, I think once we actually saw the result Um, we were obviously excited. Uh, We wanted to celebrate, but it was also like, there was still the way that it was worded at first, we were kind of like... Well, wait a second. It's not like I was expecting it to say, you know, Mandy's going to Tokyo or, or like you have your qualification spot, but it was it was still worded in the sense of they have to make an accommodation, you know, for anyone, any athlete who was pregnant or postpartum, which still kind of left room for, okay, are they going to do it? Like it put it back on the IOC to do that. Um, so there was still like even the week before when everyone, you know, said we we kind of went public and said, Yeah, this came out, this is what it was what the ruling was there was still some back and forth trying to figure out the details of, okay, like, are they actually going to do it? Are they going to try to appeal it? Um, Because if they would have tried to appeal it, that would have put me out of the Olympics because it would have been just the timing would have been, you know, off by a couple days or a week. Um, so there is still a lot of stress, honestly, up until like just a few days before leaving um, to actually know that, yes, I am going and this is happening and I could actually just train and think about training and not think about this other stuff that's just hanging over me.
0: It's almost like the, uh, like the legalese was like kind of confusing to a point where you're unsure, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah,
2: yeah, there was just a bit of uncertainty. And then, you know, and then it got cleared up, it got cleared up pretty quickly by the court. Um, But again, that was just still like, well, what are they going to do? Because, you know, even the entire process through this, like, it seemed like the IOC just thought that they were like invincible, like yeah. and no one can tell them what to do. So are they actually going to listen to the court? I don't know. Like you never know, right? And it's like everything was just coming down to the wire for actually being able to get that decision and be nominated to the team and, and arrive in Tokyo and all of that. So it was just, yeah, there was a lot of um uh you know other elements that that played into that for sure.
1: And how were you able to like deal with the mental side while also like training? Because At the, like, your goal was to be able to get to Tokyo. So, how were you able to kind of balance that?
2: Yeah that was hard. Um, I was pretty lucky though. I have, I have honestly a really good team and probably the right team for the moment that I'm in too. Um, I work really closely with my court, uh, my sports psychologist, um, Kim Dawson. So she's more of a mental performance coach. So we had conversations honestly, like all the time, just on, you know, little things that were happening, um, how I was able to like, just like put that aside when I step into the gym, um, you know, whether that was just like using a song, using a motivational quote or a keyword to kind of like trigger, okay, this is boxing, put that, you know, put that away make sure my phone is like nowhere near me. So even if there's an emergency call, I can't take it just little things like that, I think were important for me to just be able to focus. And then, you know, my coach was also really great. You know, there were days when I came in, I was just, I was just kind of going through the motions or I was just like very emotional because I had just spent, you know, four hours doing like witness prep stuff. And, and he just always kind of found a way to, you know, show me a video or show me like, I don't know, a song or like a quote or something that would just kind of get me to where i need to be that day so yeah super thankful for the team i had throughout that process
0: did you try different songs did you knew your your (laughs) one right away or was you know you tried a couple and you'd go spar or you'd go train you'd be like you know what that uh you know that that acdc song that day wasn't good or or you know that i don't know who what who or what you're listening to but
2: yeah um i mean there was probably a couple different songs um I'm trying to think Justin, the one Justin Bieber song that just I really liked. (laughs) And sometimes it's just like the rhythm of it or or whatever. But um, yeah, there were definitely uh, a few different ones for sure. (laughs)
0: That's so cool i uh i i'll kind of add to this too is i use a similar technique for a guy played hockey right so like i would do a song right i would go for like a little walk pre-game i would listen to uh, i'm a huge christmas guy so i had uh justin bieber christmas (laughs) album on and it would calm you down so much to the point where like like you said right it helps you get in the zone right so for me i would get too anxious right but yeah like like you helps you get in the zone so i feel like a lot of athletes, like you'd said, right, could kind of learn from the sports psychologists and kind of implement that into their, their uh, game, their, their practicing regime, whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: So now talking about Tokyo, obviously, you'd been to Rio as well, kind of comparing the two, what was your experience as an athlete like?
2: Very different. Um, you know what, I think the Canadian Olympic committee actually did a really great job in preparing us for like what to expect. Um, so it's not like, you know, even for me, who, who, like you said, I've been there in 2016, I didn't like show up like expecting that, you know, we were going to have all these fun elements that usually make the Olympics, what they are. I knew we weren't going to go, you know, to the opening ceremonies or the closing and that you had to leave within, you know, what was it, 48 hours after you were done your competition? Um, you know, that there were going to be no fans. That was kind of a last minute thing as well. Um, so we kind of knew these things going in. Um, so it definitely changes the feeling of the Olympics. Like I'm I'm really happy that I had that 2016 experience now because I experienced all those things. I did the opening, the closing, um, you know, obviously the fans and just even the excitement of recognizing other athletes from other sports. That's usually like a really fun part, but now you had your mask on the entire time, even when you were outside that you didn't know who was who. And I didn't even like bother trying to look because I'm like, I can't tell who's who by just looking at their eyes. Um, so yeah, I think there were definitely a lot of elements that, made it different. It kind of felt like you know, when you go went to your venue, for example, and you were competing, um it kind of felt like you were just like in your gym training. Like there was just like no atmosphere at all. And I think that that was hard for me because I'm someone that usually plays off the crowd, and i that that excitement, I can use that energy. Um so I kind of felt a little bit flat um, when I was um, competing. but, some athletes really enjoyed it. Like I remember talking to some of my teammates and they were like, hey, like there's absolutely no pressure, no stress because you don't put no one there, <laughs> even though they're watching on TV or whatever, but like, there's no one there. So I think everyone took it a little bit differently. Um, but nonetheless, I think given the current circumstances, I think Japan did a really great job in hosting and everything that they did to, to make it happen.
1: And we've heard from the other athletes that like the volunteers kind of made it feel like there was some, some audience there and some spectators. Did you kind of feel the same way?
2: Um, not necessarily in our venue. Um, yeah, no, we didn't really have anyone around for our venue. And I'm sure some of the other sports, some of the other sports you could even see like in the stands where there was like other Athletes there, and usually, so like I think, like wrestling, for example, or, or uh, taekwondo, where um, you kind of you do your competition, and then if you lose, you still have to wait there to see if you kind of come back in for a bronze medal match. So there's still people there to kind of make the atmosphere. Um, whereas for us, I think there was just if you were getting ready to compete, you were the, you were allowed in the arena until you could go back into the change room. Um, yeah, so it was pretty limited.
1: So. Just like a personal question for me to like understand this. So you mentioned the athletes coming back in for bronze medal match. Why is there two bronze medals in boxing?
2: Um, Good question. <laughs> sometimes, you know what? Sometimes I've seen like more recently, actually. So if they do like a qualification tournament and they need to find out who's actually third, because both people would be considered third, they will make them box off. But I think because we're always a first round elimination they don't bother making us box off at other events so i think it would be hard if i don't know if you both like lost because you got the bronze so you lost and then to get them to come back and fight again like i don't know if there's really a point to that because you've already let's say like an olympics you're fighting four or five times like is there more risk of injury at that point um maybe they're already injured and that's why they got a bronze because maybe they have a cut for the, on the guy's side. Like, I don't know. I, it's a good question.
1: <laughs> Cause I'd looked it up and like the, the answer was sort of the same where it was just except it quoted like timing, but I'm like, there's time for the gold medal match. Like,
0: but oh, that's such I, a weak answer. I, yeah. Like, yeah, I I, I think uh, the whole like mental aspect and, and, you know, going through the pain again and, and all that just for a third place. So probably makes sense.
2: Yeah. I don't know. People wouldn't even show up. I like I've seen, I've seen at qualification tournaments that they know that, you know, they're, they're third or fourth and it, the top five, let's say qualify. They just don't even go to the bronze medal. So then you just end up planning for fights that don't happen either because i don't know do you really want to fight for a bronze medal I mean, at the olympics you would but anywhere else probably not
1: <laughs> damn i i hadn't i hadn't thought of that so i truly have a question were the beds as bad as everybody said they were
2: <laughs> everybody is so curious about those beds <laughs> um I didn't think they were bad. I like, I mean, honestly, they, yes, they were made of cardboard, but it's like, have you ever seen really thick cardboard? It like, it's basically like, yeah. plywood. <laughs> so they were very sturdy. You couldn't tell you were sleeping on cardboard. Um, you know, the other, the actual mattress was made of recycled like plastics, but it wasn't just like one big chunk of plastic. It's kind of like, just, I don't know the way it was recycled and come together. There was, a little bit of movement in it. Um, yeah, they weren't the most comfortable, but um, none of those beds usually are. If you're sleeping in a tiny single bed somewhere, it's not usually the most comfortable thing.
0: Could could you hear like the uh, the turtles thanking you when you're sleeping on all the recycled plastic?
2: <laughs> you know what they the the people of Japan like the entire country they do such an amazing job recycling. Like there was. People standing next to the garbages to make sure that you put everything yeah. in the right place every time. And it's it it was pretty remarkable, actually.
0: They chase you down if you throw in the wrong one. They're Basically.
1: just like <laughs> yakuzas, you down, cycle properly. You're done. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I think one of my favorite things was seeing that the uh, the organizers eventually like were asking people to stop biting their metals because it was made out of like recycled metal from the phone from phones.
2: Oh, I didn't even see that.
1: <laughs> I, and I think it was like specifically the gold medals that they were like, please stop biting the medals. It's not necessarily safe.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't see anything like that. I kind of figured maybe with COVID because they were making you wear a mask on the um, podium. Um, but they might not really like that, but yeah.
1: And were you one of the people that got uh, kept up? Because of all all the partying going on outside, we've heard that that was a a problem for some of the athletes. Oh, really? No, no, not at all.
2: Um, I mean, in the Canadian building, I think we were pretty quiet. We were kind of like on the far side of the village. So we weren't like surrounded by other um, buildings or other like countries. So I didn't hear. No, I didn't hear a thing.
0: Do you feel like those mattresses would just knock you out?
2: Knock <laughs> you! <even. laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I had to. I had to. It, was, it hit me, and I had to say it. Um, the uh, yeah, I mean, unless why I want to talk more about uh, the Olympics. I kind of want to transition to um, kind of more boxing talking and box box talking, and kind of you're moving way up as a professional and amateur and kind of all that. Why wow, do you have anything else, or?
1: No nah, you you're good.
0: No so I I'm really interested in kind of your, your upbringing and, and how boxing was introduced to your life because i as I got mature as I got older and everything, I just got really interested in the sport and and you know the specifically like the heavyweight side. but how did you get introduced to boxing when you were younger?
2: Um, so I actually found boxing probably a little later in life. I was uh, 16 years old. Um, When I first walked into a boxing gym, Um, it was because my brother, um, he did a little bit of boxing before I did. He never competed or anything, but um, I just remember him kind of coming home. um, You know, he was getting in shape. He was getting fit. And I kind of thought, okay, that kind of looks fun. Looks like what he's doing is fun. I've always had a little interest in boxing. Um, Not that I'm like super aggressive, but. Yeah. I I like to hit things. (laughs) Um, You know, even when we were younger, we had a bag at home with gloves and I would put it on and hit the bag. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, there wasn't YouTube back then or anything like that. So you couldn't like Google how to do it. Um, But no, that was, it was just something that I really enjoyed. So I think when I saw, Hey, like this is just like here in Kitchener where we had just moved um, there was some interest, and um yeah so I actually had to wait till my brother stopped boxing cuz he didn't want his little sister to come to the gym with him cuz that just wasn't cool. Um and then eventually um you know he quit and I was like hey like I still want to try this and it really wasn't like because I thought I was ever going to compete like I don't even think I knew what the Olympics were like my family's really not um you know into watching too much sport or or being too involved in sport. Um, it was really just about like learning the skill of, you know, how to throw punches, how to defend yourself. And then I guess really early on, I just realized that it was something I was really good at. I had, you know, some coaches kind of bring me in right away and start like teaching me and and bringing, like giving me that one-on-one time, um, so that I felt comfortable. And then I started competing and then just never looked back.
0: That's very cool. I I feel like too, like a lot of people who do, kind of like recreationally boxed, right? They like the aspect of the fitness, right? They're, they're introduced to, it is truly one of the hardest things you could test your body with. And I I stand by that, but I'm interested to see, you know, what, what was that moment of where, okay, you know, you're training four or five times a week, six, seven, whatever it is, to the point where your coach is like, Mandy, I want you to go beat the shit out of another woman. Like, I want you to fight someone. Like, what was, what was that moment where you're like, okay, I'm done training. Let's (laughs) fight. Like, what was that whole interaction like?
2: Yeah, it definitely took a little while for me to be convinced. I probably was about a year before I actually stepped into the ring, and it was honestly more because um, some of my teammates were like, you should fight. Like, you're really good. You should fight. And I was kind of like, Oh, really? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I've never, I've never competed in anything before. I don't know if I could even do that. Like, what does that mean? Um, yeah. And then I think I just eventually was like, okay, like there was a tournament coming up and then everyone was trying to figure out, okay, well, who's going. Um, and then I signed up for it. So it was very nerve wracking. Cause I mean, I wasn't really, like I said, wasn't really involved in sport, um as i was like when i was younger and never really had like that competitive experience before and especially in boxing it's different you're walking in there and everyone's kind of like eyeing you up like is that my opponent is that my opponent like you're just kind of like oh my god what did i just get myself into
0: (laughs) yeah they're like Um, sizing you up you're like oh she's got a weak rib cage i can just throw (laughs) in there so
2: yeah totally did Um, you
0: ever oh sorry go ahead oh go ahead um i'm interested in this because like when i I did a little bit and I had some, some guy come up to me and wanted, he wanted me to fight his son, but like, I was like 16, kind of like you early. You you're like, I don't know if I'm ready for that, but did you ever have anyone that wanted to really fight you? And you're just like, yeah, I'm I'm not doing that. That's not happening.
2: Um, not, not really. I mean, I think early on, I just kind of, you know, I would register for tournaments and, and fight and, you know, whoever was there um, was there. I, I never really like tried to back down or call anyone out. I think, you know, for me it was really about like the skill of boxing. I didn't really, um, you know, get too involved in, you know, anything outside of that, like calling someone out and try, I don't know, like, you know what, I, I let my skill be yeah, yeah. talking um i think definitely when i started boxing there was people just like random like friends or you know you meet someone for the first time they're really you box like can you fight can you beat that person up or
0: yeah
2: (laughs) it's now it's you know my husband probably gets so annoyed that everyone asks like every time it's like oh do you beat him up that's like (laughs) no actually he's quite a bit bigger than me yeah uh, yeah
0: um, yeah, no, that's, that's very cool. I just, I'm interested to, to kind of hear this, you know, being, being a mom yourself. When I told my mom, I wanted to box, she uh, <laughs> lost her mind. She was like, no, you're not, you're going to, you know, think the bad things will happen. Would, would you want, you know, your, your child to box too in the future? Or is that more their decision?
2: Um, it's a tough question. Um, it's, I know
0: you don't, you don't have to answer that. I know. It's, yeah, yeah. no. Tough, I, but...
2: I honestly like if she, if it's something she really wants to do, Um, I'll let her do it, but I would also make sure that she's well-prepared for it. Um, because I know that yes, boxing is, is a great sport. It's taught me a lot. I've had a lot of amazing experiences, but it's also a dangerous sport sometimes if you're not taking it seriously. So if she's willing to put in the work that it takes to actually get there and get into the ring, then yeah, she can do it. But, um, I definitely make sure she's not cutting any corners.
0: (laughs) I know some parents don't like coaching their kids. Would you want to be your, your daughter's coach or.
2: Um, I don't know. I would, yeah. I would have to see how it goes. Like, honestly, she's so young right now. It's hard. Yeah. To- yeah.
0: I know. I'm trying to make these decisions. She's, yeah. you know, newborn. Uh, but yeah, still, that's very cool. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's kind of jump into the the fun question segment. So these, uh, rapid answers kind of like, you know, family feud where it's like the final oh. minute, whatever your first thing comes to mind. So, Is there a a fight that you have of all time, like kind of your favorite fight when you're looking back at your career?
2: Yeah, um, probably the finals of the 2015 Pan American Games. Um, I boxed Marlon Esparza, who was the current world champion at the time. Um, Someone who had beat me Three times before that, um, and then I I beat her on home soil, um, and became the first female to win back to back Pan American gold
0: medals. Nice, look. So That was a good How moment. And it was my birthday. birthday,
2: and yeah. Oh, was- what
0: a day! <laughs> what a day! Um, is there a fight today that kind of still haunts you from your career?
2: Um, yeah, it not haunts me. I mean, there's a fight. I had this one fight. You um, know, it was against this Russian girl. I don't even oh, remember no. her she name. She fighting
0: with like like uh, like little nails in her gloves. When she was... <laughs> no. no,
2: no, but she was just she was so awkward, and she just kept coming at me from like it didn't matter. She'd be like off balance, half falling, and then she'd still be throwing punches. Like it was just it was so weird. And I think like for me, it was also one, I was like, what the heck is happening right now? This is not boxing. And then I had like, I had my actual coach, not like he was like in the stands, but like kind of beside the ring. And then I had the national team coach in my corner and they're both giving me different advice. So I'm sitting there like this person is really awkward and weird. And now these people are telling me something different. It just was like a complete, Oh God (laughs) moment. (laughs)
0: I uh, I know from some interviews, right? Some boxers find it more difficult when they fight like um, like an unorthodox boxer or like a like a southpaw. Do you find, you know, that's kind of the same when you fight someone opposite hand of you?
2: Yeah. Southpaws are always a little more challenging. Um, I mean, I've done really well in my career against Southpaws. I beat lots of really great Southpaws. Um, but I definitely overthink it. It's, it's definitely something that if I know I'm going to fight a Southpaw, I have to like have Southpaw sparring to prepare for it because I need to like, just get, get it in my, in my mind.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Um, do you like the Rocky slash Creed movies?
2: I do. I probably don't know them as well as most people would assume.
0: I do. <laughs> I, I will just, cause like, you know, like with like hockey players, you're always like, oh, do you like, you know, Miracle, do you like all the yeah. uh, Mighty Ducks, all that stuff, baseball players, Field of Dreams, like all, all that stuff. But I'm, I'm interested. Cause you know, like we've, we talked about it with um, past Olympians, but right? we see their sport in a movie platform and they're like, so many things are wrong here. Do you yeah. feel like when you've watched either Rocky or, or Creed, you feel like guys like, what, what's going on? Like this wouldn't happen if someone's actually fighting kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like you said, as you're watching it, you're just kind of thinking like, everyone always asked me if I would like million dollar baby, cause it's like a female lead. And yeah. It's, um, yeah. And Everyone's like, Oh, it was so good, and everything It's like, Yeah, it was good, it was a good storyline. Like, <laughs> yeah, the storyline sure. is, is good, but the boxing is horrible, <laughs> <laughs> right? And it's like, that's not what real boxing looks like. Um, but yeah, that's always going to be a little bit like that if you're trying to get like actors to kind of go over and learn how to box in a few months, right? It's always gonna look a little bit like that.
0: Uh, last question before I hand it off to why, but I know that with like kind of recent science and, and, um, understanding that like the boxing kind of the whole, whole speed, but headgear, I know that some, some trainers are yes, go headgear. Other trainers are no, what's kind of your stance on sparring and using headgear?
2: Um, absolutely. I mean, I think if for, for sparring, it should always be used for fights. I think there's a debate on like should they should they have it even after this Olympics. Um I think there's a whole bunch of coaches who have now signed like petitions to bring the headgear back for the men because at first when they took it off they were trying to say it was safer and they were trying yeah, to get women to have it off. And now clearly they're realizing that it's not safer because everybody's getting cuts. Um, And these boxers are so used to like coming in a bit closer with their heads that, and they don't really necessarily know the tactics to move their heads the right way to avoid cuts that, I mean, they're being stitched up all the time. And do you really want to end your amateur career with like all these scars all over your face? I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any, uh, any need
0: for it all right cool cool I'm always interested to, to kind of hear that perspective and and headgear because I know like you know you listen to some some analysts and they're like so against it for for whatever reason but yeah very cool very cool yeah
1: so I'm ins- as an athlete like did you have any any pre-fight rituals or like superstitions that you had to go through
2: um yeah I mean rituals I so I always put my right glove on first which is, like, just because I can, like, make sure I really get that one in. Um, I definitely, like, play with my Velcro (laughs) sometimes, like, to make sure it just fits. And I do the same thing with my shoes. I feel like my shoes just got to be, they got to be tight, but not too tight. And, like, (laughs) it's usually, like, what I'm adjusting all the time. Um, Yeah, I read the same Bible verse um, before my fights, and that's just something that, like, my mom kind of integrated when I was, like, really young, and it just, um, yeah, it just kind of, stuck throughout my career um other than that honestly I I used to have like more like I used to have this one bandana that I had to be wearing that bandana um or like little things like that and then eventually I just like tried to stop doing that because I didn't want to like oh my god if I forgot it one day I felt like I was gonna like not perform right so I wanted to like detach from anything that was going to make me feel that way um yeah
0: interesting that's, um that's
1: cool that's very cool did you have any did you have like one specific go-to for your walk-ups walkout song
2: no so for us and the amateurs you don't get to pick your music they just pick it for you oh
0: that sucks <laughs> yeah <That's> so lame <laughs> you know what it they should of, do they sh- you should be able to pick the, your opponent's walkout song yeah <laughs> could
1: you imagine
2: yeah. oh man it that would be fun <laughs>
1: Um, and then finally, if you could go back and witness one boxing match of all time, do you do you have one that, that you would instantly say that I wish I was there?
2: Um, I mean, I, there's so many like old school fights that you hear about all the time, right? Obviously, it would have been really cool to see like Muhammad Ali in his prime. Um, I think any of his fights would have been uh, pretty amazing, but not not necessarily one i think the, what is it the thrill in manila that was considered one yeah. of the best sites in history so <laughs> that obviously would have been cool
1: all right well uh mandy thank you very much for for taking the time out to uh to chat with us a little bit
2: yeah no problem
1: yeah and, you're, uh, you're, you're now crew. Crew. The crew stole it
0: stole it from you there you go